0: Good morning. How many of you like to travel? (laughs) My husband and I enjoy any time we can get away. But but I have discovered that there are two types of people. There are the travel light people. We call them men. who can go on vacation and pack everything they need in a sock. (laughs) Some of you are like that. You you know exactly how to travel light. You know what you're going to wear, what you're going to bring. You know exactly how to pack that bag so that that it will be nice and light and so that you can arrive at your destination energetic, refreshed, unburdened. And then there are people like me who need the extra-large, extra-durable rolling-wheel Samsonite with extra-strong handle and double-thickness strap. <laughs> I call it traveling prepared. Okay, maybe it is traveling heavy, but I'd like to know that when I go on vacation that I have everything I need, especially books. Books lots and lots of books (laughs) and some of you like to take books too and you know if you have that tendency you know how weary you can get especially if you have to haul all this stuff up several flights of stairs you know how weary you can be hauling around all that heavy stuff and you know that is really sometimes what happens to us on this journey called life we end up carrying things Um, that that weigh us down, we end up toting things around that we really weren't meant to carry. Things like anger, resentment, unforgiveness, or maybe a grudge that settled in. And so as I thought about this message, I wondered what a grudge would look like. I mean, if we were to give it a visual, (laughs) if we were to pack it in our carry-on bag, it might look like this a big old rock. I mean, it, a rock, you know, rocks are, um, they add a lot of weight and they're not really useful for all that much. Um, so, and rocks come in all different sizes. For example, this could be a major grudge. This little smaller rock right here might be a junior grudge. It's junior, but it's growing. <laughs> And then this little stone, we could say a stone of offense, we call this stone a grudget. <laughs> and it's interesting, we have all this language surrounding grudges, too. You can hold a grudge, you can bear a grudge, you can harbor a grudge, you can even, you can even nurse a grudge. You can do that with grudges. You, you can feed it and, and, and make it stronger and, and bigger. I mean, you could add stuff like uh, hostile thoughts and angry feelings and, and distorted perceptions and, and bad intentions. You can do that with grudges until it's no longer a grudge yet, but it's a full-blown grudge. And, you know, some people tote around those things, those rocks, for weeks, months, even years. It's sad, though, especially when it affects a family. How many of you remember? I mean, I'm always surprised when I when I learn of, of sons that haven't spoken to fathers or sisters that haven't talked in years. But how many of you remember this one set of very popular sisters in our country who were very famous media personalities years ago? Um, how many of you remember Ann Landers and Dear Abby? Yeah, Dear Abby. She would, they would write letters to these and, and they would answer relational questions. Uh, you know, for ad- people would send questions about advice. And do you know these were twin sisters that for years, because of some unresolved issue in their lives, had not spoken to each other? I mean, how ironic that these two people in our country who received more requests for relational help than anyone else were themselves unwilling to resolve their own issues. But scripture tells us that there's another set of of siblings who had a similar problem. And we get only as far as the fourth chapter in the Bible Before we realize, in Genesis chapter 4, that unresolved anger has already wreaked havoc in a family. You may remember the story. Cain and Abel, sons of Adam and Eve. Cain, or Abel's offering, rather, was accepted by God. Cain's was not. And Cain was angry. He was probably thinking something like this. I carried out my duty. I brought an offering why wasn't it accepted by God I mean why is it my brother always seems to do the right thing and I always end up in the wrong as long as he's around I'm never going to measure up in God's eyes pretentious do-gooder as long as he's around I mean he doesn't deserve to live I can imagine those kinds of thoughts working up to that point. And God, in his mercy, said to, um, responded to Cain in this way, in verse 6 and 7 in the New Living Translation, it says this, Why are you so angry? Why do you look so defeated? You will be accepted if you respond in the right way. But if you refuse to respond correctly, then watch out. Sin is waiting to attack and destroy you, and you must subdue it. I mean, it's interesting here that the issue isn't who's to blame and who did what. The issue is don't let that thing hang around. (laughs) Don't let that thing get a foothold. I, I, I love the little quote, and I've probably used it before, but it said, the birds may fly over your head. But you don't have to let them nest in your hair (laughs) sometimes that's what we do with niggling little things that start working some negative stuff in our minds and in our thoughts if we don't deal with it quickly and this is what we find in God's Word we open ourselves to up to all kinds of of destructive consequences what destructive consequences well, the first destructive consequence is it becomes a heavy burden, as you saw. <laughs> One of the rocks that I have here um, I was entrenched in some soft mud. Now, last fall, it was sitting on top of the surface. And it is interesting to me that if it left to itself, it would sink deeper and deeper into that soft mud. And that's the funny thing about grudges. Uh, the longer we hold on to them the the heavier they get the the more entrenched they get and the harder they can be to root out and because of this god gives us some specific instruction regarding how to handle this and it says don't sin and this is ephesians 4 don't sin by letting anger gain control over you don't let the sun go down while you're still angry For anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil, which leads to the second destructive consequences. We give opportunity for for the devil to do damage. Now, if you've ever been married, and I know we've had some marriage series here in recent days, but if you've ever been married, you know how easy it is to freeze out your spouse. Right? You know what I mean? Nobody knows what I mean. (laughs) It's only me that this happens to. Okay, just pretend you understand what I'm talking about. All right. You come home. You're tired. It's been a long day. The mailman delivered the mail to the wrong door. The dog ate the leg off your coffee table. For some of you, you, your spouse drove into an extra large pothole. And the car is totaled, you know who I mean. A conversation begins and it goes the wrong way. And then things get tense. And then quiet. And then real quiet. And then distant. Now maybe we aren't like Cain who set out to murder our loved one, our family member. But there are lots of ways to hurt a person, aren't they? Aren't there? You you can hurt a person um, with words. You can you can use harsh words to really nail somebody and hammer them down. You can hurt a person with no words. You you can you can just you can just let anger simmer in your heart. You can just withdraw. You can just freeze them out like they don't exist. And if that keeps happening day after day, week after week, uh, where once you had a heart of love toward a brother or sister, a mom or dad, a husband or wife, a, a, a co-worker or friend, whoever it is, where once you had a heart of love toward that person, one day you find that you are a stone carrier. See, all the joy, the generosity, the, the warmth, the humanity, uh, the, the goodness is getting choked out of you. And you think to yourself, well, I'm not like Cain. I, I mean, I haven't murdered anybody. And that's true. But all of the forces that conspire to crush love out of the human heart, all of the forces that conspire to to keep you from becoming the person that you deep down want to be, or, or more importantly, the person God deep down wants you to be, I mean, all of that, all the forces of judgmentalism and, and, and coldness and icy anger and, and bitterness and frozenness and meanness of spirit, all of that, angst all of that yuck all of that stuff just begins to work and Churn inside of you and it's just a matter of time before it pervades your whole being But there is another way and this is the good news in the story. This is the good news of the day Jesus came among other things to tell us in light of God's love there's another way that you can respond to the hurts of life You can forgive that's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18 now Peter wanted to know more and and I think this is interesting this passage because I think Peter had some issues doesn't say that here I think though that we can assume perhaps he has been hurt by someone we don't know how, we don't know why, we don't know the details, but I think it happened, and probably more than once. And so he asked Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive? Like, how many times do I have to forgive this guy, Jesus? Like, seven times? <laughs> I mean, it occurs to Peter that somebody there, there's somebody that's dinged him a bunch of times. And I can imagine the conversation running in his mind. There's a barrier between us, and it is his fault. I mean, I'm the innocent party. Why do I have to initiate forgiveness? I mean, shouldn't he at least have to be the one to make the first move? How many times do I have to forgive? Like, seven times? Now, Peter thinks he's being magnanimous with this, and he expects Jesus is going to say man good job peter i'm so impressed you're willing to forgive seven times that's great but jesus doesn't say that (laughs) he says i tell you not seven times but 77 times in other words you just keep forgiving it's it's going to be a lifestyle choice you just do this indefinitely as often as needed and in a way Jesus is saying, "Look, Peter, you can carry these stones around on your back. You can harbor bitterness and resentment. You can you can carry a grudge your whole life if that's what you want to do. But if you really want to follow me, you choose to forgive. You can show mercy." You can forgive from your heart. You can let it go, but Peter, if you want to follow me, you need to put down the stone. And then Jesus tops that off with a story to drive home, really, how important this is. He starts at the crisis in this story. This story is found in Matthew 18:23. And it says, "A king, Jesus tells him, a king decided uh, to bring his accounts up to date. And he finds that there's a servant who owed him a ton of money, an unfathomable amount of money, an impossible amount of money in that day, like 10,000 talents. Now, the amount is so great that there's no conceivable way this servant would ever be able to pay back, ever, This is the equivalent of like 12 million dollars in our currency. It was 50 million denarii and one denarii was a normal day's wage. And of course the servant couldn't pay. I mean there was no way he could make enough money in in 15 lifetimes really to to pay it back. So the king ordered for him to be sold into slavery and his family and his possessions everything they own sell them into slavery and the man fell down on his face at his face and said oh be patient with me i will pay it back and the king took pity and the guilty man was freed and the king forgave his debt now this is the key to understanding this story in a situation like this the debt doesn't just disappear does it debts don't just disappear they never disappear i mean somebody has to pay the debt who's going to pay the debt who's going to take the hit who's going to pay that that sum who's going to take the loss see the king is the king is god and then jesus adds a sequel and he says what does the servant do This guy who was forgiven an astronomical amount of money, well, he goes out and he finds someone who owes him, like, pocket change, like 20 bucks. (laughs) I mean, it was 100 denarii, which is around $20, which is about 500,000 times less than what his debt was that he was forgiven of earlier right? I mean, you think that he would have been so overcome with gratitude, so overwhelmed by this gift that was given to him, that you would think that he would have lived in this state of gratitude and would readily have shown mercy. But what does he do? He finds this guy, owes him $20, he puts him in a stranglehold, grabs him by the neck, and he has him thrown in jail. And the king hears about this, and he is furious. And he said, I forgave all that debt because you begged me. Now, shouldn't you have at least shown compassion? And he threw him in jail. And then Jesus said, this is how my heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. Such a strong passage. John Maxwell wrote this insight about that passage i thought it was a helpful quote and it says this god has given us mercy so we may extend it but he will turn us over to our own prison of bitterness if we are unwilling to forgive others so a question what would make one person withhold forgiveness from another i mean there are probably lots of reasons right I mean, sometimes we think that we're condoning the other person's behavior if we forgive them. Sometimes I think we want to kind of keep them under our thumb, so to speak. But I think there's another reason why we withhold forgiveness from someone else. And that is when I forget. That is when I live in a kind of denial of, of the infinitely greater amount of forgiveness that I have needed from God. See, my forgiveness came at the cost of the cross. It, it cost the death of Jesus to cover my debt. That's how much it costs to, to me, for me to be forgiven. And so I think the only way I can harden up my heart and harden up my spirit and, re, and f- refuse to forgive another person is if I forget how much I've been forgiven. See, I, I forget what's true about me. Years ago, when my husband and I were dating, we went to this very nice conference center in upstate New York. (laughs) And that Friday evening, there were these special speakers. Uh, There was a fantastic banquet. Beautiful white um, linen tablecloths, gorgeous table settings. It was a Hawaiian theme, they called it a luau. It was a buffet that was out of this world, and everything was perfect until we got to the spare ribs. My husband loves to tell the story. He was trying to be very helpful. He grabbed the tongs that were next to these barbecued, uh, heavily soaked in sauce spare ribs. <laughs> And I don't know what happened exactly, but I think he took those tongs and he squeezed too tightly, and the spare ribs that were in the tongs flew toward me like torpedoes. (laughs) I looked down at my white blouse. We were dating. I was trying to be nice, and I go, It's okay. I think... It'll be all right. Meanwhile, he's trying hard not to laugh, but he's about doubled over. And I looked down again, and I realized that those spare ribs had gone down my blouse, ricocheted off my white cloth purse, smoothed across my yellow skirt, and landed on my white shoes. I had barbecue sauce from head to toe. (laughs) What could I do? I mean, it still makes me laugh when I think about it. I wasn't laughing that night. There were so many people there. It was a gorgeous setting. I mean, the evening session was about to begin. We had ris- ridden with people hundreds of miles away. There, there was nothing I could do. If you've ever tried to scrub out barbecue sauce, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It, it, the truth was before everybody. It, there was nothing I could do. There was no hiding it. Everybody knew. There was no use pretending all evening long. I endured being a walking stain. What does all that have to do with forgiveness? (laughs) Scripture tells us that spiritually, I am deeply stained by sin. I am a walking stain. That's what's true about me. That Every one of us are stained by sin. Pride, self-centeredness, arrogance, deception, apathy. I mean, that's the truth. The Bible says it's true about each one of us. The cost of forgiveness, of washing that stain, of covering a debt I could not pay was monumental to God. It cost everything for him to forgive me and to forgive you. I mean, what's funny about us is that when someone hurts us, as long as our minds are on what they did and and, and on that hurt, as long as it's focused on what that person did, I I can convince myself I have every right (laughs) to to withhold that forgiveness. I have every right to carry that grudge. But when I take my eyes off that hurt and take my eyes off what they did and I look at the cross and... It's a different story. (laughs) Jesus said, no, you don't have a right to carry that grudge. I already paid the price for the forgiveness of every sin. So Jesus says to us, in effect, lay it down. Lay it down. Whatever it is, whatever stone is in our bag, whatever we've been toting around, whatever we have been carrying, we need to unload it. It's for our own good and because God says we must. In Ephesians 4.32, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Now, it may not happen overnight. It may take a lot of prayer and a ton of effort. It it may take making a first step in bringing it to God and laying it before him. And it may take some time, but I hope you'll do it. I hope you'll choose to forgive because, let's face it, life is too short, and the weight of those stones is too much. Let them go at the foot of the cross and walk unhindered to all that God has for us.
1: Let's stand together. We're going to sing together before we take communion together in just a moment. but Let's sing this together. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture. On my side, angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love, perfect submission, perfect submission is at rest. Right? my Savior all the day long, praising my Savior all the day long.
2: All right, let's share in communion together this morning. The communion supper instituted by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is a sacrament which proclaims his life, his sufferings, his sacrificial death and resurrection and the hope of his coming again. The supper is a means of grace in which Christ is present by the Holy Spirit. It is to be received in reverent appreciation and gratefulness for the work of Christ. All those who are truly repentant, forsaking their sins, and believing in christ for salvation are invited to participate in the death and resurrection of christ we come to the table acknowledging our weaknesses and that we and that we may be renewed in life and salvation being made one by the spirit in unity with christ we confess our faith that christ has died christ is risen christ will come again and so we pray holy god We gather at your table in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who by your Spirit was anointed to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, set at liberty those who are oppressed, Christ healed the sick, fed the hungry, ate with sinners such as us, and established the new covenant for forgiveness of sins. And so today we gather as the body of Christ to offer ourselves to you in praise and thanksgiving, And we ask that you'd pour out your holy spirit on us and on these your gifts make them by the power of your spirit to be for us the body and the blood of christ that that we may be for the world the body of christ redeemed by his blood and by your spirit make us one in christ one with each other and one in the ministry of christ to all the world until christ comes in final victory in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit And now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you and be thankful, take and eat. the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ shed for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ died for you and be thankful. Take drink. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for this opportunity to be here together today as one people, united by your spirit and through your blood. Lord, I just pray that you would help us this morning to let go of any of those grudges and those things that have been holding us back and the resentments towards one another, towards family members, towards whomever, Lord. Lord, as we reflect on the forgiveness that you have given us for all of our great and many sins, Lord, may that help us and motivate us to to forgive those around us. And Lord, as we uh, leave here today, I just pray a blessing uh, upon each person, upon each family. Uh, a blessing over the, uh, the mealtime, Lord, and, and the, the meeting and, and all the decisions and things that will take place during that. We just pray that your presence and your spirit would guide it all. We pray these things in your name. Uh, and this morning I will leave you with this uh, blessing, this benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face towards you and give you peace. Amen.
1: This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior. Oh, mm-hmm.